Hey everybody, we are back. I'm your host Matt and thank you for tuning in. Welcome to episode 60 of the Junior Golf Keys podcast presented by Golf Zone Ledbetter. Uh, Golf Zone Ledbetter includes a global network of 40 academies across 15 different countries as well as Ledbetter University which offers education and certification for teaching professionals around the world. To learn more about Golf Zone Ledbetter, you can visit the website at www.ledbetter.com or download the free Golf Zone Ledbetter app in your app store today to access content for players, coaches, and parents. So this is the first of five lost episodes uh, that were recorded but actually never published, and uh, I'm excited for this episode this week. Our guest this week, Kyle Alderink is the Director of Instruction at the Academy at Black Creek Club in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he is the head coach and partner of Mental Golf Type, which is one of the most unique and innovative mental game coaching uh, methods in golf today. Kyle's more than an instructor. Uh, He serves his players with full coaching on how to raise their performance in any situation. He's a PGA Class A member. He graduated from the Golf Academy of America. He's BioSwing Dynamic Certified, an Elite Performance Systems Coach, TrackMan Certified, Body Track Certified. He has been named to the Golf Digest Top 100 Teachers Under 40 in America, and he is a Golf Digest Top Teacher of Illinois, Golf Academy of America Top 25 Teacher, Golf Academy of America Top 100 Alumni, and a Teacher of the Year nominee. Um, had a really great conversation with Kyle, and I'm excited to bring that conversation to you all. Uh, mental golf type is a really interesting system. It focuses on personality types, uh, which is kind of the the root of how we all communicate. Um, specifically, talking about extrovert and introvert energy, uh, perception and focus, evaluation, structure, um, and so Kyle has helped in developing this system where you know it really gives instructors an opportunity to learn more about how their players are developing so that they can coach them uh, the best way possible to maximize their potential and you know it's a really good tool for parents as well just to learn how they communicate themselves um, and how their players communicate so we're going to talk about that Uh, we're going to talk about developing juniors we're going to talk about how people learn and the science behind that Uh, Really excited to get into this conversation with Kyle, and um, I'm excited to be back. So uh, taking a little bit of a break over the last year, uh, but really excited to jump into this conversation with Kyle and bring you guys some value. Um, You know, as I continue to build out my recording schedule over the next few weeks, I'm going to be dropping these lost episodes uh, just to kind of, you know, get back in the rhythm, Um, you know. Like we can, you know, knock the rust off in a in a golf swing. Uh, we can do the same here in this podcast studio. So, I really appreciate you guys uh, and your loyal following. You're listening and tuning in, and I'm excited to be back with you. Sit tight. We'll be right back with this week's episode with Kyle Alderink. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. I'm excited uh, for our guest this week, Kyle Alderink, who is the owner of Champion Ways Golf Performance Academy and I guess co-collaborator. I'm not sure how you would tag it as um, uh, the co-collaborator of mental golf type. So, Kyle, I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation, so uh, excited to jump into it. But if we could, just kind of to start for context for the audience, uh, could you give us some or some context around how you got introduced to the game and kind of what your path has been so far? Yeah, um, you know, I think my story is somewhat typical of, of most golfers. Um, you know, I grew up in a small town in Michigan, and I had a family that fortunately just kind of threw me into everything. You know, sports was just a part of our household. So it was kind of jump into whatever and see what you like, and they'll just, you know, my parents were um, – they just kind of feel that, you know, they weren't pushy or anything. It's just, you know, we'll support you in whatever you want to do. You just got to do something. Yeah. Um, you know, so being from a small town, you know, I was fortunate to grow up with a really good group of friends and athletic group of friends. And, you know, everything we did, we, we won. Um, and so I got really used to winning. And then when I started playing golf, it beat me down. And it was very challenging. And that I'm the type of person where when something challenges me and – I can't figure it out. I go hard at it. Like I, I need to answer questions and that's kind yeah. of like what we'll get into later down the road, why I'm where I am now. But, um, so it's those, those questions. Why am I, why can't I hit this freaking ball when, you know, I can hit a home run and I can hit, I can hit a jump shot. Right. I can do all these things at a high level, but this freaking little ball sitting on the ground and I'm struggling to get this thing to move was pissing me off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Understand. So that, that honestly just kind of fueled me. And, and, you know, the other thing too is golf, where I was in a small town really wasn't much of a thing. So like, I took it as like, I'm going to make this my thing. I'm going to bring this to the town type thing. So I kind of took that on myself to do that. Uh, but anyways, I just, I just loved it. Like I just got into it. It, it fueled me. I was curious. I started wanting to know everything about the swing. Um, long story short, you know, I, um, you know, again, small town. So I, I was winning a lot after I started getting pretty good. And then this was really before the internet age. So I couldn't research what everybody else was doing nationally. So I just thought I was the best in the world. Like I'm going on tour, I'm going to beat everybody. Yeah. Um, and then when I started getting kind of ready to get introduced to colleges, I want to play college golf. I just figured every college is going to want me. So I started like reaching out to, I, you know, I was very persistent to Arizona state. Okay. And I, so I bugged them until they invited me down there for a week. And I spent a week with the team. And this was when, uh, Paul Casey was on the team, Jeff Quinney, Matt Jones. I mean, those three basically superstars right there. And I started seeing what these guys are really doing on much more difficult golf courses than what I was doing. And it was a big shell shock. So that, that put me in kind of check a little bit. And I'm like, well, I either got to really start going hard at this or I, you know, I wanted to start to coach, which, um, you know, I did a lot of too. I coached basketball and things like that. And I, I really like the coaching side of it. I don't love to travel that much. Yeah. Um, so staying at home and helping people seemed like a little better route. And again, long story short, um, you know, went to school, uh, ended up kind of getting out of normal college and went to the golf academy of America to start training to, you know, get into the golf profession. Cause I was just sick of being a broke college kid. And, um, <laughs> I was like, it's, it's just time to work. I know what my path's going to be. And, uh, started just kind of going after it from there. Nice. Um, so now you're running, uh, your own academy and, mm -hmm. What's the, like, how's that set up like? Are you, are you coaching kids mostly? Is it adults, uh, mixture of talents? 
talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mostly juniors. I actually just uh, moved to Chattanooga about a week and a half ago. Okay. Um, so I am turning over my academy in Chicago area, um, which I had, I think we're somewhere around a hundred kids. And, um, wow. you know, I was fortunate to, you know, really start to work with a lot of the better players. And I was fortunate to have a lot of success developing players. And that's something I was kind of priding myself on is, you know, I, the players that were, good and competing well under me were players that developed through the system it wasn't just like hey this player is really good and they're coming to me and I'm just taking credit for them yeah. um, there were players that you know starting with shooting in the hundreds or 90s and getting them into the 70s so that was something I really was proud of um, but uh, you know some other things came along family things and just it was kind of time to try to do something a little bit new which is part of my personality type sure um, <laughs> But, it, you know, so now we're, we're in the Tennessee area and start really starting to build that back up again. So um, just starting a brand new junior academy out here and uh, nice. some junior programs. And, yeah, so we're excited about that. Good deal. Good deal. Well, I mean, you've got obviously a lot of accolades when it comes to, you know, top teachers and, you know, Golf Academy, America, uh, top 25, top 100 alumni. Um, you know what you're doing, obviously. And, uh <laughs> I try. It's, it's neat to hear you talk about just kind of developing the players because I think sometimes that gets lost a little bit in mm -hmm. golf instruction and, and golf coaching is, uh, you know, we're not playing golf swing. We're playing golf, the game, um, how to get the ball in the hole. So talk to us a little bit about your approach and how you go about developing players. Well, and, and you said it right there. I mean, it's I started like every other coach in the game, really. I mean, I just – I it was the swing. That's all I knew. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I was raised and that's how I was taking lessons. And so I went and did everything I could do to learn everything about the swing and try to be the best swing coach I could be. And again, it just, I, I'm somebody who always evaluates everything I do. So after like every lesson, like, was that good? Was it not? Could I've done better? You yeah. know, I'd sit at home at night reflecting on what I'm doing. Cause I mean, if people are paying me, um, it's my, my moral obligation to give them the best absolutely I can. I mean, that's just how I feel. So if I fail somebody, I'm like, I took that very personally or emotionally. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I just, I mean, I'm sitting there studying YouTube videos. I'm like, what's the secret? What's everybody doing? I mean, I studied with Mike Adams with bio swing dynamics. I mean, I was doing everything I could and, and all that's just wonderful stuff. And it has its place. I mean, we both know that, Yeah. but it didn't take me long to start realizing when players kind of emotionally a mess on the course or if they're you know, they're very negative on themselves. Like those things weren't helping. I knew there was another level of performance that I was missing. Yeah. So, and again, it's just like, this is this all the one hour back to back swing stuff. It just wasn't really helping. So especially on the younger side, I started doing a little more of the group stuff and just setting up practices to kind of help them discover a little bit more on their own, you know, guided discovery, I guess we can call it. Sure. So set up challenges and games and things to have them compete a little, but also to, to learn, you know, so if you're missing putts on the low side type thing, you got to learn from that because I basically penalize them. Yeah. You know? And so I set up these games to like penalize the things I just don't want them to do. And then they have to learn to, to get through this game or to score. Well, you got to do the things I want you to do, get the ball on the high side. You got to yeah. take divots after the ball type things. And just the, the skills that I thought were the most important and just, I found it when they start to kind of learn on their own a little bit, it, it goes a lot further than just me constantly telling them what to do. Why is that? You think? Um, I mean, we learn better. So for example, a good example of, um, I use a lot with that is like, if we go to a party 
and I just walk up and I give you five people's names. I'm just like, Hey Matt, here's so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. Chances are you're going to forget that very quickly. But if you have to go out of your way to actually get their names, you're going to remember it like at a much higher rate. Because when you actually have to go find the information yourself, studies show and research shows that you're much more likely to remember and retain that information. Yeah. So it's a lot of to do with just how we learn. Yeah. And just on a side note, um, you know, somebody I was like to plug this dude, Trevor Reagan. I don't know if you've heard of him. He runs so. a podcast called the learner lab, Okay. but he's somebody that uh, I've done podcasts with him and I've talked to him a bunch. I mean, this, the, the stuff he's doing with how people learn is just, is awesome. And I think a lot of people need to know that. So even if you're listeners, I mean, if you want to hear some cool stuff and cool yep. stories about the science of how we learn, that dude's like on the forefront of it. He's awesome. And he's got a really cool story. I mean, he went to Duke, tried to walk onto the basketball team. And okay. it was the same thing. He was like one of the last people to get cut. But he just like started to try to figure out like all the stuff and how we learned. And it's, it's pretty cool. But anyway, sidetrack. Yeah. But again, that's just, <laughs> again, it's all set up. Yeah, it's all set up with, essentially how we learn so i'm trying to tie in the science behind how we, how we learn trying to tie in our personality types behind how we learn um and then just skill acquisition development i'm like how do i package that all in together and i'm not in any way going to say i'm doing it perfectly because i'm still every day looking at like what can i do better and things yeah. like that but well and i think you know obviously as individuals we're all evolving we're all changing you know we're all continuing to grow in certain ways and you know, that's an ever evolving process to figure out, you know, what you're all about, I guess, you know, that Mm -hmm. self identity and just understanding yourself self awareness. I think that that's something that I feel like it's really become a really big topic over the last, I don't know how many years, but it just seems like authenticity and, you know, finding who you are is a big topic that people are chasing. So Talk to us a little bit about mental golf type and how it was created, how it was formed. What is mental golf type? Yeah. Um, so mental golf type was formed by a guy by the name of John Weir. Um, and he was the mental game coach at uh, Mike Bender's elite Academy for a long time. And that's how I got to know John is uh, I've been fortunate to know Mike for a while and call him a good friend and learn from him and pick his brain. And then um, and I've taken a lot of stuff from what he does at his Academy. Yep. But so, you know, Mike comes into town for a teaching summit in Illinois one year. And uh, I know he was just kind of coming in and out. And, you know, when somebody comes into town, I just, I like to offer, you know, Hey, you want to have dinner or something? Just so you're not sitting in your hotel room alone and just offer us said, Hey, if you want to grab dinner or something to chat, I would love to, to treat you. And so, you know, for coming out and, you know, basically offering information to help other teachers. I'm sure it's pretty cool. So we sat down had dinner and, um, I was telling them kind of a lot of the same stuff I'm telling you. I'm like, Mike, I just think there's so much more to this and, um, you know, the mental game and psychology. And I'm really diving into it. And I was telling them the, the routes I was going, the books I was reading, the things I was studying. He's like, you know, you really got to talk to John Weir. Uh, he's this guy I got. He's like, he's doing some stuff with personality types and what he's discovered is, is pretty crazy. So first thing I did, I mean, I was leaving the restaurant and I was emailing John Weir. Yeah. Um, and, you know, John was fortunate to, you know, take my call. And this was in the very, I don't, I, won't, I don't know if I want to say early stages of what he was doing, because I mean, he's been studying this stuff for a long, long time. And he's got a really fascinating background, too. But um, he really kind of started to link personality traits to like actual performance. And I mean, I've seen it around a lot. There's a lot of systems that will do personality types and say, you know, this type of golfer is going to be aggressive and da, da, da. 
but like he actually took it and he's like look these these things are like actually like this is how they focus this is how they're going to see targets you know and when they don't this is actually what's stressing them so he started to figure out like very predictively you know with a personality type what stresses player and actually tanks their performance so we know exactly which player is getting too mechanical we know which player is um basically seeing too much of the out of bounds and the trouble you know the players that talk about like i just i'm seeing all the bad stuff out there we yeah. know which players are hung up on mistakes we know which players are freaked out about you know three four holes ahead and tanking their performance and it's crazy because he and i will both tell you like when i first heard this i'm like no freaking way <laughs> like it's just like it's almost too good to be true type thing like almost right. too much of a like manual and we know in this game there's not a manual to help players yeah. but i'm like i so i started testing and he's like dude i've tested this i've tested this and i'm like i'm not taking that at face value i need to test this and i did i mean he's he kept training me and i started learning some stuff on my own with it and we kept talking about different players and um it was pretty crazy so again i mean most stories are starting like this right now but when COVID hit you know i called him and i was like hey because he's actually caddying for austin Treslow. Oh yeah, on the corn ferry tour so he's a full-time caddy at this point he's just you know kind of whatever and so i called him because i knew it just wasn't doing much i was like hey what do you think about doing a podcast you know let's start talking about the mental game because i didn't know a bunch of stuff out there i was like this could be a pretty unique way to just help people and kill some time because we're not doing much yeah and uh you know he agreed and you know we would do an episode on you know universal things that would help players and i just kept in the background like hey what if we just slip this in here He's like, yep. God, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then I, I finally just kind of poked him enough. And he's like, all right, you're right. It's time to get it out. Because I was like, John, <laughs> the world needs this, dude. Like, it's, yeah. And I mean, this is, it's, it's so fascinating. It's helped me so much as a coach and some of the results I've gotten that in avenues that I probably never would have gotten without it. And yep. I mean, it would have been easy just to hang on to it and be our unique thing. But I'm like, look, this is something I feel like golfers need, coaches can use. And, yep. you know, that's kind of where we're going. Is we just want to help everybody understand it because, I've tested it nonstop for the last three or four years with focus band. And I mean, just validating everything on video. And I mean, I just like, I just couldn't rebuke it. Like I was trying to, like, yeah. I'm like, this can't, this ha somebody has to be an outlier or something. But every time when we could verify the personality, like the behavior was the exact same, the language was the exact same, how they would get into the green and the focus band was the exact same. And what would stress them was the exact same. Yeah. And it was just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, well, I was telling you, I, I actually got a chance to take one of the surveys and um, it was really interesting to me. I've taken personality tests before and I know you've talked and, and compared them to different personality tests before. Also, just kind of um, personality tests can have a little bit of a stigma sometimes with, you know, uh, how people are supposed to answer or, you know, those types right. of things, whether it be for jobs or I've heard you talk about that a little bit. So, sure. um I would love to just kind of share my results with you Good, and then, yeah, just for the audience purposes, just to kind of get a better understanding of how this works. Um, yeah. We could just maybe dig into a little bit and, you know, Let's just have a conversation around it. So I took it. Um, it came back for me as a, so explain kind of how the, before I go into those results, how does the survey work? And then there's kind of some different categories um, mm -hmm. that, I hate to say labels, but there are some, you're either one way or the other in certain attributes. Um, if you could explain that a little bit further before we give some results. Sure. 
Yeah, so there's, there's four major facets of our personality and four that really play a role in how we operate, behave, and essentially how we're going to perform on the golf course or in life. So there's our energy source, or it's basically our mental and physical energy source, uh, and that's whether you're extrovert or introvert. And that's something not a lot of people understand about that quality. They just think it's you talk or you don't. But it's actually physically our, our energy. So like extroverts get very energized when they're talking and they're being external and they're out and about where introverts will typically get a little more exhausted with that. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they don't talk. They just talk to like a smaller knit circle. They typically have, you know, small circle of friends or people they're comfortable with. And that's just what they want to do. Sure. But so the second is our perception focus. And this is probably arguably the most important when it comes to golf. It's like how we're seeing the world. So some people see it as a big, broad picture. Some people see it in little spots and details. So like, you know, if myself and somebody else who's wired a little different are standing looking at a forest, like I'm going to see the whole thing. Like I see the big, broad picture. I see a very, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then they'll focus in on a little detail on a tree and then their perception kind of goes this way. So like intuitive people always kind of see like end goal first, which we'll get into a little more, but, and then the third one is our evaluation. It's how we make decisions. So people are wired a little bit differently. There's some people who need a lot of um, kind of facts and data, we'll call it. Or, okay. um, they need like a, just logical, like the, the facts support this, so I'm doing it. Okay. Where some people have more of an emotional intelligence and they kind of have their instinct or they trust their gut yep. type thing where it might not fit the, uh, facts and data. Yep. Uh, and then last is our structure. And this is probably one of them, one of where everybody answers kind of the way they should, because there's judges and perceivers. So judges are like what the world wants everybody to be. They're the corporate people, the structured, they have calendars. They're very orderly on time. Right. Uh, perceivers like myself are completely out of order. Like I do things <laughs> that are very random. I bounce around all the time. Um, I was going to say my wife versus me. <laughs> right. I mean, it's funny too, because my wife's the exact opposite. I mean, right. we had, I was going to go caddy for one of my players in the U S open qualifier in Boston. Cause we've never been. Um, and then again, COVID hit and it got canceled. But I mean, my wife had the whole trip planned, like everything we're doing every day, three months before. And I'm like, yeah. we'll figure it out when we get there. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm more of a, go with book a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some people are adaptable and some people just like really need that. Like this is planned out so I can follow that. Sure. You know? Yeah. So that's kind of the overview of, you know, how these facets work. And I will say that it's important to understand that each one of these, like we do a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and that's again, where things can get tripped up and some people are like, well, I'm a little bit of both. And you are like, it's like dexterity. It's like being right-handed and left-handed. We have a mm -hmm. dominant and a non-dominant. Yep. So, I mean, I use both hands in daily life. It's just my right hand's always my dominant. Sure. And I always tell the story, like, because of my personality, I got bored practicing. And I actually started practicing left-handed and got pretty good at it. It started as just, like, if I need to be behind a tree or something, I hit something out left-handed. But then I started hitting good shots. I was like, whoa, this is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got to the point where I could actually break 80 and would go play people. But, like, um, I would always have a lot more sense of uncomfortability. I mean, even though I'm playing left hand, I knew I could do it. I'm getting shots and type thing, but there was always this feeling of stress and uncomfortability if there was playing for money versus when I do it right-handed. And yeah, that's yeah. essentially the difference, right? So if we're using one of our non-dominant traits of our personality, so if I'm seeing small targets, I'm wired to see big targets, like there's always a little bit of stress that's kind of inhibiting the motor cortex and 
essentially is going to break some things down, even if the swing is really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I started off playing golf left-handed, switched when I was probably eight to play. Really? Now I play right-handed, but I never switched uh, baseball. I always swung a baseball bat, continued to swing a baseball bat left-handed. So really weird kind of how that worked out. But yeah. Right my, my, my unique makeup, I suppose. <laughs> um, well, I'm guessing you're probably wired like me, right? Are you an ENFP? Yeah, ENFP. Yeah. 5% of the population is what they told me. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, again, and we'll get into this, but like in, intuitives as, as a whole are a very small population. Yeah. You know, it, it's just our, it's uh, most, most people are wired as what's called sensors and we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. So ENFP, the optimistic manifester, and it lists some mm-hmm. different character traits, uh, being enthusiastic, imaginative, original, friendly, supportive, and spontaneous. Um, and I was telling you, I also just recently transitioned in my career uh, over to Golf Zone Ledbetter's group. And um, in that transition, I took a spotlight profile by MindFlick and came back um, as expressively optimistic. So um, some obviously crossover there in terms of the optimism piece, but um, let's walk through what my results are ENFP. Well, again, you and I speak the same language. It's pretty cool. I mean, this is, that's, that's what I am. And um, so again, the first thing is, you know, you're an extrovert. Um, And again, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong in any of these facets, but essentially, um, you know, extroverts think clearer when they're being external. And that's, that's a big part of it. Not only do we get energized, um, you know, again, if I get on a podcast or whatever, I can be sitting on the couch and just exhausted. But if I get up and doing this, doing podcasts, I get out with people and I'm coaching. I mean, I start getting a lot more lively. Yeah. Um, and essentially also it's, it's a big part of how we organize thoughts too. So extroverts do things a lot better talking out loud. I mean, there's points where I'll literally be working on the computer have to stand up and go walk around and just talk to myself to organize my thoughts because I'm getting so like jumbled up yeah again what's what's interesting with all of these is when we start to get stressed we kind of flip and use our non-dominant so extroverts will get quiet when they're upset almost always very predictably you can tell (laughs) and the, the stronger of an extrovert they are when they get quiet people are like well what's going on with you that's not like you but you can kind of see it like them hashing stuff out internally Right. And usually when it is internal, it's not that great of narrative, we'll say. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you think yeah. about that and you look at some players, maybe even on tour that you'll see that like Phil Mickelson, who's a, you know, pretty well-known extrovert and lively. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he gets upset, he starts hanging his head. He gets very quiet. He's not talking to anybody. He's walking way behind it when he's playing well, he's actually up usually chatting up to people in his group and things like that. Yeah. That definitely um, resonates with me. For sure. I mean, especially you talk about, uh, you know, speaking out loud. So I Mm -hmm. do that a lot when I practice um, where like if I'm going through my routine and I've got certain checkpoints or different things that I want to focus on, um, you know, it's, you know, club face and target, it's stance. I I literally have gone through saying those things out loud while I'm practicing and it does make me feel more comfortable um, that I've kind of got everything in line the way that I, you know, want it to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because it, it helps you organize your thoughts and again, just gets kind of clear on things. And, you know, we had a guy that went through our online program 
And he wrote us and said, I've never broken 45 on nine holes. And he goes, all I did was talk my shots on. I shot 39. And he, no said, he literally said, what is going on? So I go, <laughs> a bunch of question marks. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, again, I mean, there's some things like that. Just as simple as talking shots out loud or talking out your routine just keeps you so clear and organized. And yeah, it does yeah. allow you to get into the internal of just bouncing around thoughts. Right. Where introverts are actually the opposite. They need that internal clarity. When they start verbalizing, they can get lost in their thoughts. They don't have time to organize it. Yep, yep. Yeah, like Jordan Spieth's a prime example of the extrovert, especially with, you know, him and Greller, how they – I can't remember who I was listening to this week during the Masters, but um, one of the announcers was talking about how when Spieth's hitting, you don't need to do anything as an announcer because all you need to do is just sit there and listen. You're going to hear everything that they talk about prior to hitting the shot and what he's thinking about and – visualizing those types of things mm -hmm. and then you're going to hear the reaction you know all the way through and so prime example there of somebody that just kind of talks through everything out loud sure yeah yeah absolutely um, um go ahead yeah i was gonna say so so going into your next one like i said this is probably one of the most important when it comes to golf i mean all these play a huge role but this one is like our perception and focus okay um and what again what i mean by that first is perception in terms of how we see things. So, you know, like going back to Spieth, he kind of coined the phrase, aim small, miss small. Yeah. Um, that is not great for intuitives. It's actually pretty much the kiss of death <laughs> because when intuitive, so like intuitives see the world like bigger and they yep. always see the end goal before they work out the details, you know? Right, so right, like, right. Um, you know, an artist is a great example. They have a vision of what they want to create and then they'll work to create it. Yeah. So like sensors are the counterpart. They do everything more like an instruction manual, very linear. I got to do step one, then step two, and that'll equal step three. Like yeah. if they don't have that, those things, they tend to freak out um, yeah. because they don't have control of how to get that result. So that result becomes kind of doom and gloom. Yeah. Whereas so I they tend always to... see... go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, whereas I tend to, you know, get a new kitchen table or something like that. And I don't even look at the instruction manual. Right. I, I use that example all the time and it's crazy. Like, I don't think I've ever heard it. When I say yes intuitives, like, do you ever read an instruction manual? Everyone was like, no, <laughs> you know, they don't follow recipes. They don't do anything. We just don't like that because that's yep. a very constrictive way. It's taking away the vision. Sure. So, you know, how that plays into golf now is, is intuitives are like your bubble Watsons or your DJs. Like they see shapes. Yeah. And they see how the ball is going to get there. And then they react to that. Yeah. Um, where sensors actually, they need the opposite. They actually need like a swing thought or a task. Like if I hit the steps, so like Justin Thomas is one I always allude to, like you see him always rehearsing this takeaway. So mm. to me, it's like, if I hit this takeaway, the ball will go over my spot and it'll get to the target. So it's like me, yeah. the intermediate, then the target where intuitives are the opposite. It's like, how's it getting to the target? Then this is what I need to do to do it. And then they get in there and execute. So everything starts with that clarity and that vision of the shot. And again, they usually are always better with curves and shapes. Um, and intuitives hit some of the craziest shots when they have to, like around trees, yeah. over trees, under trees, mm -hmm. because they're forced to see some sort of like shot when it's like 150 yards, middle pin, middle fairway. It's kind of where they struggle the most because there's like, what do I do? It almost no makes obstacles. Them yeah. Exactly. Right. It almost makes them default in the mechanics. Right. And that's when they get off. So again, when intuitives get stressed, they start to get away from 
what they're good at and seeing the shot and they get into the parts and pieces of the swing. So they'll really start to question like, is my takeaway in the right spot? Yeah. Where's my weight going? And then they'll start to get away from all the stuff they do well. Yeah. Where sensors will lose track of their task and they'll see all the trouble. They'll start to see again, the, the end goal without the parts and pieces to get there. And it becomes doom and gloom. Oh my gosh, there's bunkers. They're worrying about where the ball can't go for yeah, the most yeah. part. But Tying this back into you, I mean, again, if I'm just predicting, I would say you probably start to get mechanical. You start losing track of where the ball is going to go. And, um, yeah. and again, especially as an intuitive and a coach who knows the swing, that's an easy yeah. thing to do, right? We start questioning the swing. Sure. You mean when I'm going down a, a route of not having a good round, that's right. where I'm falling into that trap is thinking too mechanically, um, mm-hmm. not just letting my intuition and my uh, – I guess artistry kind of play out. Right. Well, it's interesting too, because and maybe this is just the way that I was taught, but I think this has a lot to do with it probably. Um, I fight that a lot. Like when I go out there, sometimes I practice that aim small, miss small, because mm-hmm. I think in my head, maybe that's what I should be doing. Um, but this is kind of opening my eyes up a little bit more to, um, uh, and not like I'm not a visionary player, but I don't know, for some reason in my head, I feel like that aim small, miss small is, is something that is taught at a broad scale, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it is, right? I mean, especially when Speed started doing so well with the Jason Day was right behind him saying the same thing. I mean, that became really the, the big thing out there is aim small, miss small. Yeah. Again, those, those are your classic sensors. If, um, you know, if you really watch them, I mean, they aim at a small spot. I mean, speed, you see more looks to the target, but most really good sensors, you, never, you don't even really see them paying attention to the target. Like Justin Rose looks at the target for maybe a second of the eight, he's over it. Yeah. Um, Xander was kind of the same way. I started to see some little nuances down the stretch this past week, but I mean, essentially it's just like quick look, and, but most of the time is like here. Justin Thomas, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they're just, you can tell, they're just more focused on their move versus the target where like a Bubba or a DJ, you see them kind of keeping their eyes up a lot more and right. you see they're just seeing more of the shape, but you're right. I mean, there's a difference between learned and natural behaviors. Right. Um, and again, I mean, most people are taught to be like an ISTJ, which is our complete opposite, which is again, very precision, you know, very technical, Yep. Um, which I always find interesting because that's how the game is really being taught, like in a mechanical way, a very narrow focus way, a very precise way with alignment sticks yep. um, and straight balls. And then, you know, you pick up a, a sports psychology book and they tell you to be an intuitive, react to the target and do this stuff. So there's, there's always been that disconnect there for me, which is also a big reason why, like when I started meeting John and going through this, it all made sense. Yeah. Because for me, like that stuff always made sense. If I get up and I can just see a ball fading and I feel like the, the face of the club just basically sending it off the target. So like Zen golf is a great book for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the stuff that always resonated. And so I started teaching that stuff to everybody and like half would do it and half wouldn't. I'm like, like, you know, then I was just like, why are they not committing to it? Like, why, why is this half not doing well with this? Why are they right. actually struggling when I'm doing this? And you know, I get a quick story. I've told this on, I think, every podcast, but this one of my girls who's a, just a fantastic ball striker, and she's that sensor player. Mm-hmm. And I have her on video, and I said, I got the open driving range, like 60 yards between tree lines. I want wow. you to keep your eyes up and just hit it anywhere on the range. Just swing freely and hit it hard. 
and she couldn't hit it on the range. She was missing, like literally hooking in the trees. I mean, I think she chunked one like 15 yards. Like, and I have all this on video. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, okay, I want you to go back and just focus on your intermediate target. Now you're not going to look at the target at all. Just focus on her move, which is basically just keeping the club face down through the ball. And that's all she focuses on when she's great. Just basically keeping it down. Um, And literally stood in front of her, didn't let her hit, like look at the target. And like everyone's strike, strike, strike. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing, right? Because everybody's keep your eyes up, keep your eyes on the target and, you know, focus on the target. And so we call that target side. So there's really two ways of focusing. If you split the ball in two, you have basically you and like behind the ball would be player side, we call it. And then like on the target side is the target side. Mm -hmm. So intuitives are wired to be more target side, keeping their focus out there because the brain's sending better signals. If it has the picture of what it wants to do, it can tell the body how to do it. Like sensors need the instruction manual. They need the player side. They need the, I need to do this to create that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I can, I'm thinking actually to a specific shot that I just hit, I don't know, two rounds ago, I was playing at a new course and I went through that. I almost felt like that conversation with Spieth and Greller where you're going through, all right, what are we doing here? You know, pins just off the left side of the green side bunker. You know, I've got like eight yards in between, uh, edge of the green and the pin and we're talking through this entire thing and I hit the exact shot obviously that I was trying to hit because that's just where my head was right I was just visualizing mm-hmm. that um, visualization is something that's really interesting to me have you ever seen seven days in utopia I have yeah read the book too yeah the audience well, the, book, the book wasn't called that though I forget what it was called but okay um, I brought it up a couple of times on this uh, podcast but one of my favorite parts in that is when he teaches him to paint a shot Mm -hmm. around the tree and then execute it. And, you know, I imagine that that's exactly why he was able to execute that shot is kind of what we're talking about here. Right. And that's, that's like a very good intuitive way to do that. Sure. You know, so what's interesting is with the sensor, you know, they, that would probably still help a little but if they don't have their task and it's not consistent, Mm -hmm. they're going to still struggle with that. Yeah. Because they need to know the things are in order to create the result, yeah. if that makes sense. And again, yeah. their, their focus is a lot more narrow. The Tiger Woods, you know, this and things like that. They feel out of control with big zones where, you know, the intuitive player is the one where if you stand them in front of the ocean and say, just hit, hit as hard as you can, they're going to be the most accurate. Yeah. Because there's, yeah. there's no trouble. They feel so free and unrestricted, they can just rip it. Yeah, right. sensors, you know, when they have too much, they feel way out of control. Like, whoa, there's way too much going on here. They need the they aim small, miss small. Like they're really yeah. good with that. They're really good with lines on the ball, um, spots. Yeah. That's an like interesting that. one too. Cause I, I was probably about a year ago. I, I had always used the line on my ball um, to, you know, align it at my target. And I just felt, yeah, very restricted. I felt like, why am I doing this? It just doesn't feel very free to me. Mm-hmm. So I started not using it at all. I just put, you know, my logo on top and it allows me to see more, you know, of a vision of, you know, where that ball is going to roll and just be a little bit more creative with it versus such a rigid approach. Um, And I've noticed an improvement in my putting that way because of it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's great discoveries. And, you know, the thing I always tell players is like, especially with better players is they've done these things a lot. You know, our goal is just to help people understand how they do it so like the the players that go lights out 
you know, one day I always alluded to Kevin Chappell shot a 59 or 58 or whatever it was in between like a 71, 73, yeah. 74. Right, right, right. You know, why is that one day just lights out and then the literal next day is not? You know, why are college players shooting 72 and 77? <laughs> you know, well, why is yeah. it so different day in and day out? And that's the thing is, is they stumble upon these things that they do naturally, but they don't know how they're doing them. Right. So what we're trying to just help with is like, this is, this is what you do when you do really well. It's not even learning really new stuff. It's just when you're doing great, this is the stuff you do. And when you're not, this is really the thought patterns that's typically start to stress you. And, and I think that's the biggest paradigm is understanding that stress is really what's breaking things down. Mm. You know, and when we start to use these underdeveloped functions of our mind and we get stressed, like essentially invokes stress, invokes our fight or flight response. Right. You know, we're always in this level of like having cortisol, adrenaline, and things run through our body that actually inhibit the motor cortex. Mm -hmm. So like, regardless of how good your swing is, like if you're an, under a lot of stress, it's, it's always going to underperform. Yeah. Because the truth is, is practice really doesn't transfer to the course on that level. Not directly. Like there's always going to be, and this is a phrase we coined from Navy SEALs. It's like, you're, you're um, always going to dip to your highest level training. So if your practice is just hitting some balls and working on your swing, you go out there under pressure, like you're going to always underperform. Sure. Yeah. That makes you know, sense. Especially when you don't know how to think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. You're talking about Kevin Chapel. I had a experience like that when I was a junior golfer, actually, when I was trying to qualify for the junior PGA, I had qualified. I had won the local qualifier. I think I shot 68 and then the you know, state qualifier and then nationals. So state qualifier, I played poor the first day, 80, I think, and uh, had an early tee time the next day. So came out, played even worse, shot 86. And that afternoon, I drove about an hour to play the first round of another tournament, and I shot 68 in the same day. So I shot wow. 86 in the morning, 68 in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, really weird, uh, but probably – kind of what you're talking about just a lot of pressure that I was applying on myself a lot of stress in the morning mm -hmm. um bigger tournament and a bigger qualifier and it got to me and you know it's kind of like oh, I got that over with and I all the pressure was off I kind of just you know deflated and went out there and just had some fun and slapped it around and 68 sure that's so, crazy isn't it it is how different that can even be and that's that's the thing is like myself I, i'm very victim to this like i would have run to the driving range yeah i really would have and i i as the early age coach i would have pulled players in the driving range be like let's fix this yeah um and i see a lot of players do that and that's that's something we're trying to just help with is like you could save yourself a lot of time and mental energy by understanding that you don't need to drill your swing at the level you think you do i mean again it's, it is important i mean i made my career teaching the swing mechanics yeah, like yeah. it needs to be there, but it doesn't change as much as people think it changes. Right. Is really the thing. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, changing motion is actually really hard to do. Yeah. Like you think about how long it takes to make a swing change. Yeah. People think that it'll break down in one swing in an instance. Like it just right. doesn't make sense. It can change instantly for the worse, but it takes a long time to change for the better. Like that mindset just never made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got E extrovert. What was N again? In intuition. Intuition um f yeah so we call that feeler so that's like more emotional intelligence so anytime yeah. like when people say trust your gut i mean that's that's a good mantra for you like yeah your gut's always going to lead you better your gut and your heart better than just statistical facts so like essentially like 
you might hit shots where you shouldn't hit them. You know, you might not fit the actual, like, you need to do this. Right. But if you're confident in it, you're going to pull it off. Mm. It's essentially what it boils down to. If you're not confident in it, you're going to struggle. Yeah. So confidence is really king for feelers and like the confidence in your ability and yourself where the counterparts thinkers, they just, they do really well when they follow, um, just like percentages. So like I look like blackjack players, like mm-hmm. they'll follow percentages to the T. So, you know, if they're standing on the golf course and it's like, Hey, you have an 80% chance to hit this in the fairway because of this and this, and they're going to be like, okay, it's the right thing to do because the facts support it. That's yeah. where they drive their confidence where, you know, a feeler might be like, you know, I'm just striping my drive and they get up to a tight hole. It's like, man, I got this. Like I, yeah. you know, I can hit that and they just roll with it or they right, just right, right. something might not look right to them even though it's like hey this is driver they might pull hybrid like yeah. I just I just feel better with this yep and when they don't and they follow things and they get off of their way or get off of what they feel they could do you know that's when they can start struggle They'll start overthinking shots and type thing so yeah. usually feelers don't need a ton of information Sometimes they do if they're a J, but like a lot of times it's just like wind and yardage and they just kind of feel it out from there. I mean, they're your field players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. especially around the greens probably too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what about P to wrap it up there? Yeah, so that's that's our structure. So that's how – I mean, P's are adaptable, you know. So if you show up one day and you're hitting a fade, you're like, all right, I'm playing a fade today. That's what I got. (laughs) Yeah, right. And And they'll be okay doing that. Um, you know, the Jays are the ones that need a structure. They're the ones that need to go out there and say, you know, here's my plan of following it. Um, you know, cause again, judges are just very organized, planned people and they, they get confidence and comfortability out of following that where receivers are just yeah. adaptable. Yeah. Like we're just showing up today and be like, all right, let's see what we got. Yep. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll roll with it. Yeah. Um, you I've know, said that, that countless that can, times yeah, on the driving that range. Can, <laughs> And that's, that's something that's good for us, too, because we can adapt pretty quick. Where a judger, you know, they might just, you know, sink trying to just do the same thing or fix to be the same thing. If they're trying to hit a draw all day and they're fading it, they yep. might sit there trying to hit that draw all day and that might hurt them. Or we'll just roll with it. Yeah. But so, that could also be not a great thing, too, at some point. <laughs> you know, yeah, where we, we bounce around too much. Peas are going to be your tinkerers. They're one day I'm trying to line, one day I'm not, one day I'm left hand low, one day I'm – yeah, right. Standard grip, you know. So P's got to be careful. They just don't get too, like, tinkery. Loose, yeah. Yeah, but the adaptability is a, is a big strength. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at what point is there's always – I think the balance is always important, right? I mean, at, hmm. at one point you talk about how, um, you know, we have our dominant trait and then hmm. – but that doesn't mean we don't flip to the other side um, in certain situations. So, I mean – I guess what's what's a good way to to try to balance between I mean you hear people talk all the time about strengths and weaknesses and there's a lot of people out there that believe and I'm one of them that rather than spending all your time focusing on what you're bad at just lean into what you're good at and mm-hmm. you can kind of suffocate out not like you want to be completely unaware of you know where your downfalls are but at the same time I just feel like I'm better off if I go all in on what I'm really good at versus trying to worry about all the things that I'm not, you know, up to par with. So how do you, how do you balance all this? Well, I think what you said is perfect. I mean, I say the same thing. I mean, like what, 
how are you benefiting yourself from telling yourself what you do wrong and what you do bad? Yeah. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's like, we want to know what you do really well and let's just build on doing that really well. Right. And I don't think anybody's going to be world-class at every single thing they do. I mean, even the best in the world, I mean, Tiger was always a little subpar off the tee. Sure. But he still dominated. So like, you're right. I mean, he was a great putter, great short game. And those are things he drilled. So in terms of the tactical side of the game, I'm with you 100%. It's like essentially driver, wedges, and putter about 80% of your score. So that's what I'm trying to like just go hard at. Yeah. And then from there, it's like understanding these personality traits is the same thing. Like I want, if you're an extrovert, I want you talking everything out in practice and get clarity on it and write yeah. it down if you need to of what do I do well? And just being able to define like, look, when I, this is what I think before, during, and after a shot. Mm-hmm. That sounds so simple. And like so many people can't answer that. Yeah. Like yeah. they really can't, they have no idea what they're thinking before the shot. They have no idea what they're thinking, especially over it. Like yeah. They can't define what's my last thought as I'm swinging. And that's, that's really iffy. And you know, when players playing well, it's like, cool, whatever. I'm not thinking, but it's like, as soon as things go off, like then what? Yeah. That's when, that's when also now we're latching on trying to find whatever we can to get some sort of control. And that's where the wheels can really spin off. Yeah, for sure. But it's like, if, if we know those things and we know what's right for you, that's what we want to be drilling. So, yeah. you know, as an intuitive, I, I'd want you out there practicing more what I call the skill side of practice, which is hitting shots. Mm. Like, all right, calling Shaping it out. the ball. High draw. Yeah. yeah. And then coming up with more of a stock. Like, what am I going to hit the majority of the time? But right. I also want to make sure I can step up here, see these nine different ball flights and hit them. Yeah. And just yeah. for your users, in case they don't know the nine ball flights, high, medium, and low, Yeah, you know, high draw, High straight, high, you know, it's basically high, medium, and low, and then draw straight, fade in every category. Yep. Yep. Um, but that's, that's it. We just, like you said, we want to lean into that. And then the cool thing is, is, as coaches, when we know these things, I know what stresses players, I can use it against them. And I can physically try to stress them and make them stick to their thoughts that are optimal yeah. and, and do that. So, for example, if I know the player that's worried about where the ball can go, and I do this by my pros, as I'll just be on FaceTime with them and their earbuds like the sensors, they'll be like, don't you hit this right. This better not go right. Because I know that's the narrative going on in their head when they're off. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're worried. Of, like uh, this one girl having the symmetric tour, for example, she misses right. And when she starts missing right, she can get really tweaked out. Okay. So I'm just in her head like the whole time. So don't you miss right. And I'm just making her stay to her, her move yeah. as she's working out with her swing coach. It's just like, you know, you got to be able to overcome that. Because at first when I started doing it, I mean, I could make her hit it right all day long. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was how easy it was to get that thought in her head because that was damaging. Sure. But after a while, then it's just like, you know, it gets to the point where she's almost like fighting back and telling me to F off. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's yeah. it though. It's like, we need that mental fight back. I mean, that's how we get mentally tougher. And um, in terms of golfers, especially junior golfers, they don't like to do that. They want, they think practice is easy and cushy, but then they get out into, under pressure and it's all sudden hard and they think they're going to step up, which makes no sense. Like we want practice to be challenging. I want to, I want to make you struggle and learn to overcome that. So when you actually get under the gun, you're prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, the work takes place when you're practicing, right? I mean, you should mm-hmm. be working your hardest and the easy part is showing up and playing in the tournament if you've prepared the right way. Right. Um, and that's a hard thing in our sport. I mean, as you know, I mean, that's oh, one yeah. of the hardest things because we golf's like the only game we don't practice on the actual field of battle, number one. True. And two, simulating pressure is, is always a hard one. And that's why, again, we kind of use these stressors and these thoughts that players get into when they're struggling. We just use that against them and make them overcome that. 
because yeah. then they're aware of it. They start catching themselves going down that narrative. Um, it's hard to do. And, it, and it's hard to do at any level. Our minds are very tricky. I mean, even people mm-hmm. who know this stuff on a deep level still struggle mentally sometimes, you know, and they, they have yeah. a hard time not going down those rabbit holes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's a junior golf podcast and I want to make sure that, you know, obvi- this information is, is value add for everybody that's listening for sure. But just to kind of drill in specific to, you know, help some families and help some parents, audiences about 70, 75% um, parents. And so what are some things that parents can be doing um, just to better support their junior golfers in in your mind? Um, You know, the mental game is always something that we talk about as being, you know, a a really high priority. Um, But this is different. This is deeper. Um, This is more foundational, I would say. And um, I I feel like it's a, it's a place where the mental game needs to start um, versus kind of like reverting back to then, you know, reverse engineering all these things. It should be a good starting place so that we can technically develop players and mentally develop players the right way to be the most effective that we can. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. With parents, I would just, I would encourage them to, them and their player to take the assessment and understand that they're probably different. I mean, that's one thing we, we know about personality types is it's not like this family is like this. Right. I mean, I have families, I mean, I have, again, that, that girl I was alluding to earlier, her and her sister are wired so differently and they're both great players. Yeah. But I have to talk to them totally different. And I actually have a some I was just snapping video of them on the range one day arguing about like small target versus big target <laughs> and why they can't see it that way. And they're they're arguing about it. Just like, you know, one's like, Well, if, if you have this big zone, there's so much that can go wrong. She's like, Who's gonna hit a little spot like that? That's ridiculous. <laughs> like it's pretty funny. Yeah. But they're you know, again, like years types. ago, I mean, yeah, I look at myself, I'm like, man, I I would have probably screwed one of them up because I would have been doing the same thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's the thing. So I just encourage, you know, and I have uh, another junior that was, um, he's becoming a really, really good player and, and him and his dad are wired a little differently. And his dad is a very like precision type person. So like alignment sticks, things like that makes sense. And his son's more of the intuitive, like he likes to yeah. get shots and he gets creative yep. and his dad just could not fathom that he was not using alignment sticks and he would sit behind him and just be like, his aim is off. His aim is off. His aim is off. And I'm like, he's, he's hitting a shot. Like if he's going to hit a fade, he's got to aim this way to fade it. Right. And so just that disconnect, because I know before I was able to help them with that, um, you know, they were butting heads a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's important that parents understand, you know, how the kid is wired and there is not a right way to do that. And that's really a big message that I'm trying to help everybody understand is, and it's easy to do, especially as a parent, you see other kids, how they're training and what they're doing and how they're being successful, like some tour players. And it's easy to follow that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, these, these kids are doing this. That's the right thing to do. And it, maybe it is, maybe it's not, you know, I don't know if if that fits, you know, how your junior is wired, but I think just understanding that difference, it helps being able to communicate a lot better. I mean, even on an older level, um, another girl I have that's playing symmetric tour, dad was caddying for her. Um, and again, they just saw things different. He would give her information. Like he would say, it's, you know, this to carry the bunker. It's this to this tree. The wind's doing this. And I mean, she's just like, I'm in the fairway, just tapping my foot. Just be like, give me the effing distance. Let me hit it. You know? (laughs) So they're just, they're wired so differently where he thinks she needs all that. And he's helping her where she's just like, just, I just want the yardage and the wind. Let's go. 
right you know and um so just just understanding those those differences and we're not the same i think is very important and when people embrace that it makes for a lot more comfortable relationship i think where you know parent child aren't aren't fighting each other like why are you not doing this or why are you telling me to do this if i don't like to do it type thing you think sometimes you know kids need need a little you know they need a little discipline so i'm not telling parents to be soft but no for sure yeah do you think it's advantageous for the parent to also take the assessment? I mean, mm-hmm. or maybe Absolutely. this is very golf specific, right? So is it, even, is it still an advantage to take it even if they're not a golfer themselves as a parent or probably not? No. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Thanks. Because at the end of the day, it's still, it's still a life thing. I mean, by the time yeah. we get through our verification, so we, we start our assessment with golf, but essentially by the end of the verification it's life. And the reason we actually do that is to help players understand that things they're doing and the way they're answering on the golf course is actually against how they're wired. I mean, 94% of the people that have taken our assessment uh, match differently from life than golf. So it means they're trying to do stuff on the golf course that doesn't fit how they actually are naturally wired. Yeah. And that's some things we found And the players that have actually come in, we've had a bunch of professionals take it. And the ones that are playing the best are the ones that actually match because they're typically doing the things that they need to be doing and they understand their system. Right. And I, I firmly believe that's why the, the players on the big tours are better than like the players in the corn fairies. They're just, they know themselves, they know what works and they, they just keep doing that. I yeah. mean, Jack Nicholas could always define, this is how I play golf. Tiger Woods could always define, this is how I play golf. Yep. Um, and they just weren't jumping around and looking for that secret swing here. Like we see some people do and then end up, Sure. not out there anymore unfortunately yep yep for sure so yeah uh, absolutely i think it's super important that they understand it because again they're i mean it's just life i mean that's what at the end of the day enfp is not just you on the golf course that's you in life and that's yeah. how you're going to operate and communicate yeah. and um understanding those differences so like you know enfp and then my wife's an istj i mean we're complete opposites <laughs> so there's yeah. checks and balances there but i mean i understand some of the things that stress me out about her like sure. I, I understand her a lot better when I, when I do this. So I have to like, just go, okay, all this meticulous planning and things that are just stressing me out. Yeah. That's how she operates. Like I understand yeah. that. Yeah. My wife's the same way. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Cause same thing. Like uh, we're going down to the Florida keys here in like a month and I don't know how far I haven't really asked what, what the plan is yet, but I know there is one. Yeah. She's <laughs> um, got a plan. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause you know, we've had that conversation sometimes. It's like, we're going on vacation. Can we just go on vacation? We'll just figure it out when we get there. And that to right. me is just less stressful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for her, she's less stressed when she kind of knows what she's going to be doing and where we're going to be spending our time and those types of things. So yeah, the, uh, the unknown kind of freaks them out a little bit where we're just mm-hmm. like, you know, like we'll see what the day brings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about uh, like doing a rental property right now. Mm. And she was it, it, it freaks her out big time because it's like, well, I don't know anything about this space. I don't, what if we can't find somebody to rent the house? What if we can't, you know, all these what ifs. Mm, um, yeah. And I'm just like, we'll figure it out. I'll, I'll yeah. find somebody. It's not a big deal. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's interesting too, because that's the exact question that gets into golf when, yeah. you know, so for example, that type of personality, if they're struggling a little bit and they don't know their move or their task that works, it's what if, what if this ball goes left? What yeah. if it goes right? What if I blow this round? Like, I mean, that's, they yeah. get out, when they get out in the future, they see doom and gloom because they don't have that plan. So it's, it's yeah. fascinating. 
how this moves into every walk of life, which I think is really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I really appreciate your time today. It's uh, been a really good conversation. I think that this is a phenomenal practice to implement for anybody that's just trying to improve golf or just life, just understanding themselves and how they operate, how they tick, you know, those types of things. And uh, appreciate you going through and kind of breaking that down. I think hopefully that'll be helpful for folks. Where can they find it if, you know, they want to go on and take that uh, assessment themselves? Sure. Uh, it's just mentalgolftype.com. Um, as soon as you go on the website, you'll see the the link right off the bat that says discover my mental golf type and have a free assessment there. Okay. Um, and you know, I just encourage people to answer just honestly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really, the, that's really the thing. And that's really why, like you said, there's a stigma behind personality types and um, you know, cause some people don't answer honestly. So sometimes it doesn't come back the way there is, but the yeah. truth is there's really no better type than anything. It's just understanding these qualities because we all use them. It's just the order we use them. Right. Um, right. It's just understanding that like, this is how I do that. And when we tap into that, it actually just basically eases the mind. And essentially at the end of the day, getting into the zone that Kevin Chapel stuff is just a lack of stress. Right. And that's all we're trying to do is just help you just operate the way you're meant to operate, get yeah. rid of the stress on the golf course and be able to just play at that level of comfort. And, you know, when they do, and you, you do have that lights out round. I mean, the people always say it felt easy. Yeah. And that's exactly why, because we're just not stressing ourselves and using facets of our mind that are not dominant. Yeah. And the brain can process things a lot better. I mean, it's basically a simple way to do it. But anyways, sure. mentalgolftype.com is free assessment on there. Uh, if they want to dive in more, we have a couple online courses they can jump into that explains all this in depth and kind of gives them a step-by-step -step of how to utilize it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they can get um, a lot of information just with the assessment too and some free stuff in there. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I would encourage you guys to check it out. It's It's been eye-opening to me. You know, it's as a golfer, you're always evaluating and thinking about, you know, how you do things and how you're operating and those types of things. And this for me, it just, it gave me some clarity around why I do some of the things that I do and also gave me confidence that, Hey, this is who I am. So I shouldn't shy away from that. Um, and so I think it's a super helpful tool. And I think, yeah, if you're listening, um, go check it out. And you know, if, if Kyle and the team can help you any further, I, I'd, I'd definitely take advantage of that um, as well. So I know that this is a big piece of what you do. You're also a golf instructor. You know, this ties in as a foundational element to how you mm -hmm. teach and how you coach. Um, but just kind of as we move towards wrapping up, is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you think is just vitally important for um, that parent-child relationship or for parents to, to know specifically um, or for some of those junior players? Any kind of last messages or topics that you want to hit on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, what we were talking about a little bit earlier with just some self-discovery stuff is is important. Um, yep. I really think there is a issue with overcoaching, um, especially nowadays. I mean, there's just so much access to it. There's yep. so much thing. But, I mean, it's essentially, again, going back to, like, Trevor and the train, train Ugly is what it's called in this podcast, The Learner Lab. But, I mean, in terms of how we learn, there's just so much that comes from self-discovery and just kind of letting them get out there and just learn some stuff and struggle a little bit is, is a really, really powerful way to learn. Um, yeah. especially when, you know, if you can kind of understand some of these things and you just go, okay, you know, my, my player is a intuitive, so I'm just going to get them on the course and hitting shots. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I would, especially at the younger age, um, be spending more time on the golf course and just learning to play the game and learning situations and, you know, not being afraid to make some things hard, you know, learning to hit out of trees and out of the rough instead of always kicking the ball up in the fairway and things like that. So um, struggle is not a bad thing is really the final message. It's it's how we learn. It's how we get stronger. Um, So getting out there and challenging to the, to the level that they need to be challenged is always the trick, right? Yeah. I mean, if we take a, somebody has a hard time hitting the ball in the air and you're throwing them into tough situations that may not be the best, but yeah. you know, players getting more accomplished playing competitively, like they need to understand how to overcome some of those things. So, you know, getting them, throwing them in the trees and trying to help, teach them how to make par from there yeah. and how to prepare for all the hard situations that come with playing the game under pressure is, is actually a really good thing to do and can be fun when you take it as a challenge. So um, that'd be my final message. Just let them learn a little bit, you know, um, you know, maybe, maybe ease back on the overcoaching if they do that, but yeah. you know, that's, that's about it. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a great message to walk away with. Uh, the one last thing I do before I wrap up typically is kind of pass it back to you as the guest and, you know, is there anything that we've talked about today or, you know, we kind of obviously had some good conversation around some of you know, my personality traits and those types of things, but anything that I can answer that, um, or any questions maybe that you want to kind of throw back at me? No, I mean, um, well, yeah, I guess, you know, so we were talking a little bit about your conversations with college coaches, I guess, what's one of the biggest <clears throat> tidbits you got from a college coach that's kind of opened your eyes or changed your ways on things, if anything? Um, in terms of, just how they operate their programs or how they go Mm -hmm. about like recruiting and building their teams. Yeah. I mean, was there anything in any of those conversations where you're like, wow, that's really cool. Um, I think that, or something that a coach does that's unique, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of coaches obviously are looking for talented players. That's no secret, right? Everybody Mm wants, you know, seeking low scores, but I think that the other side of that equation that sometimes players don't really understand coaches are paying as much attention to um, are just some of the little things that they do. So for example, Josh Brewer over at Georgia uh, coaches, the women's program there, we were having a conversation one day and uh, I kind of asked him the question of like, you know, what do you do? You know, what are you looking for in players? Those types of things. One of the things he does when he goes to every single tournament is he always finds himself in the clubhouse or a you know, volunteer tent or tournament office or something outside of just going and watching the players. And he just simply asks, you know, whoever he's talking to, if there's anybody that has stood out to them this week um, and why. And it's just a really interesting question because he said that some of the answers that he's gotten have just been, you know, pretty wild, especially with like club staff and stuff like that. You know, how are, different players treating them and, you know, manners and, you know, those types of things. Um, You know, I think that everybody knows personality is obviously a a component of fitting in culturally on a collegiate team, but uh, the coaches are going to further lengths than some realize to actually try to figure some of that stuff out without it being a face-to-face conversation, but kind of leaning into, you know, some of the other people that have had more of a candid, you know, interaction or relationship with the players so I think that that's been pretty neat um, yeah, that is cool and actually kind of along the lines of what we're talking about today I had a really good conversation with Alan Bratton at Oklahoma State and one of the questions I asked him was 
you know, they've obviously produced a lot of good players that have been successful on tour. And I asked him what separates those players from the ones that were just really good college players, but couldn't make it. And he said that, you know, we talked about the Matt Wolfs and the Rickies and um, you know, obviously I've got a lot of different players, but one of the things that he said that he could really point to was they try to help those players identify what they're really good at and go all in on it. And he said, if we can create a safe environment for them to feel comfortable that it's okay to identify what your strength is and just triple down on it, uh, their success is going to be much greater uh, in the long run because, you know, confidence and, you know, if it truly is something they're great at, um, it's going to help them get there. So those are, I'd say <clears throat> a couple things that I can think back to. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to those good college coaches that I think go un, unnoticed, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Kyle, I appreciate your time today, man. It's been awesome. Uh, really yeah, good absolutely. conversation and uh, look forward to staying connected and watching you guys continue to grow your work. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, this was fun. That wraps up our conversation with Kyle Alderink this week on episode 60 of the Junior Golf Keys podcast presented by Golf Zone Ledbetter. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you took away some value from this episode. If you did, please share it. Um, please review the podcast. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, share the podcast with your friends and you know other families that are out there that are you know, looking for tips and conversations and some education around how to navigate the junior golf space. Um, really appreciate you guys tuning in. You can engage with us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, and also would love to hear from you either by direct message on those platforms or you can email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. Uh, always love to hear from you guys, your ideas for new episodes, for new guests, your feedback on the podcast, all of that is much appreciated. And I look forward to continuing this journey with you guys and bringing you some value so that you can continue to navigate your junior golf journey for your young golfers out there. And for some of you players out there, I hope that, you know, you can take away some tips that'll help you develop in your games as you, you know, further your junior golf career. So as always, thank you for tuning in and I look forward to seeing you next week on Junior Golf Keys.